Has anyone in here ever heard of Gadiel? Gadiel? Okay. Uh, anyone in here ever heard of Palti? All right. Uh, what about Thucydides? Anybody heard of Thucydides? Maybe there's some historians out there. I see some hands going up for Thucydides. Thucydides was an Athenian historian and general uh, who wrote about the Spartan and Athenian war uh, in the 5th century B.C. So not too far removed from some of the stories that we've been reading about or will be reading about from the Old Testament as we continue in our series, uh, Believing God, as we go into the Old Testament to see the power of God at work in his people. Uh, last week, or uh, the Thucydides said this, the bravest are surely those who have the dearest vision of what is before them, glory and danger alike, and yet notwithstanding, go out to meet it. The bravest are surely those who have the dearest vision of what is before them, what's at stake, the vision of what could be accomplished, the vision of what could be And they know the glory of what could be, but they know the danger that faces them as they go for that vision, and he says, they go to meet it anyway. We saw that last week in Numbers 13 and 14 with Caleb and Joshua. They were the only two out of the 12 explorers in Numbers 13 and 14 when God commanded Moses for the people to select 12, one from each tribe, the, the bravest leaders to go into the land that was promised for them as they were still coming out of Egypt and had been wandering not quite two years. They were in their second year of exploring, waiting for the Lord's deliverance into the land since he had already delivered them out of slavery. And Caleb and Joshua went with 10 others, and they were the only two who came back with a report that said, yes, there are, there are huge people in this place. There are mighty warriors. There are vast armies. There are fortified cities. But we can take it. We can certainly do it. We should go up because they believed in the Lord. For them, seeing the glory and the danger combined was not going to be something that they would give up. The glory because of the danger. Courage, in fact, what we see is that courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is doing the God-directed, Christ-honoring thing in the presence of fear. That's courage. The bravery to go for the glory, knowing that the danger is there as a part of it. What about, uh, what about Gadiel and Palti? Never heard of them? It's because they're two of the ten. And nobody names their sons Gadiel and Palti, but a lot of us have a Caleb or a Joshua. We name our sons after those who have had faith, not those who were a part of the tiny ten who didn't believe that God could work and God could act and God could move. We're going to see today in our story 
Second Chronicles chapter 20, so I'll invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles. I'll be reading from the NIV, and we'll see the need for this kind of faith today as well. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. This is in uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, with Jerusalem as its capital. Israel was the northern kingdom with Samaria as its capital. King Asa had been a good king. He had followed the Lord and sought the Lord, and he has a son named Jehoshaphat who has succeeded him as king. And this is part of the story of Jehoshaphat, and really part of the story of God himself. The Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazazan Tamar, that is the En Gedi. That was about 25 miles away, moving quickly. A vast army is coming. Uh, What is the vast army that you are facing today? What has you today, what has you alarmed, what has you anxious, what has you afraid? A vast army. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. See, part of the theme of Chronicles, both First and Second Chronicles, is this theme of seeking the Lord. In a few weeks, we'll be taking a look, a deeper look at some of this idea. But there are three places where it talks about this just in these two verses. They come to inquire of the Lord. That's Jehoshaphat. He's called Judah to come together to seek help from the Lord. And then they come together and they seek him three times. There's an emphasis on this of seeking the Lord. There's a vast army coming after you. It's 25 miles away as of right now. And their first response is to inquire of the Lord, to seek the Lord. What is your first response when there's a vast army coming after you? What is your first response when anxiety or alarm or afraid sound off in your life? What is your very first response? There's was to inquire of the Lord. And then the things that they do together, they come together to do this. This is something that is, that is coming against us, so we are going to gather together. So people would have been coming towards the temple in Jerusalem. And they're going to fast together. This was one of the practical ways that people sought the Lord was to fast together. To say what we need right now is a word from the Lord they would have certainly been thinking about Deuteronomy, that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We're going to 
put aside those things. What we're saying right now is that the most important thing for us to do is to seek from God, to be filled by God. So we're going to put food aside, we're going to depend on God, we're going to seek Him, and we're going to do it together. This is not just a few people figuring out exactly what way are they going to fast. They're fasting from food, they're putting it aside, and they're coming together to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard, and he said, Lord, so he begins his prayer, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and we'll cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. You can go all the way back to Second Chronicles 7 to see that very promise from God. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? Listen to this. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Listen to this part. Talk about an intergenerational worship service and prayer. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones. The babies too. Come on nursery. Gather around. We're all going to get in here together. Stood before the Lord. Imagine the scene. Imagine the scene of thousands of people gathered around the temple of God, Jehoshaphat as king standing before them, declaring his dependence on God, declaring for the people. And have you noticed the the way that he prays, the very beginning of his prayer is not, oh God, help us. The very beginning of his prayer is, This is who you are. God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms. So these people from Ammon and and Moab and Mount Seir, you rule over them. Power and might are in your hand. And no one can withstand you. He is declaring what he believes, what he knows to be true about God. This is the kind of God you are. His prayer begins not with the problem, 
but with the identity of God himself. And he moves from the identity of God to the action of God. This is what you have done for us before. You drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel. You gave this land to the descendants of Abraham. And then this little detail that's a part of it, your friend. So many good things. You have done this and your people have built this sanctuary. And then he moves from the action of God to the promise of God. You remember the promise you made to us was that if when we were in distress, whether it was the sword of judgment or, or famine, something, something happening to us, plague, that we would stand here before you in these courts, the, this place that bears your name, never mind the theology that God doesn't need a temple, he doesn't need a building made with human hands, because he owns it all, rules it all, fills it all. But this is that special symbol of his presence. And so this place, you told us if we would come here and we would pray in our distress, you would hear us and you would answer us and you would save us. And Jehoshaphat appeals to that promise. He appeals to the identity of God. This is the kind of God you are. This is what you have done for us before. This is the promise you made to us. And then he moves finally to the problem. Here's what we're facing. Here's what we're facing. These people, the ones that you told us to spare when we first moved in, the ones that we didn't run out of the land, they're the ones who are coming after us now. Again, he's not giving God a new piece of information here. God knows exactly what's happening. God knows exactly who's coming. God knows exactly the numbers of the armies that are coming and how vast it is. He knows the situation. But it's good for us to pray out loud and to declare our situation out loud. It's good for us to hear that. And it's really good for us to hear that in this order. God, this is the kind of God we know that you are. Uh, this, this prayer of Jehoshaphat changed my prayer life uh, over a decade ago, I would say. It changed the way I pray. I still find myself praying, beginning the vast majority of my prayers with the kind of God God is. God, you are the God who is more committed to me or more committed to this person, more committed to this church, more committed to this world than anyone else. You are never in a hurry. You're never late. You never panic. You've never said, what am I going to do next? Or, what am I going to do now? You've never paced the floors of heaven. You are the God whose timing is just right. You are the God who is good. You can only have good purposes because you're only good. You couldn't have an evil purpose because there's nothing evil about you. You are the God who can think the thought, and there it is. Say the word, and it happens. That's the kind of God you are. Your love has no bounds. You love me when I forget about you. That's the kind of God you are. And he begins with this identity. He moves to the action. This is what I've seen you do before. I've seen you heal people. I've seen you 
change people's lives. I've seen you break the chains of addiction. I've seen you reconcile marriages that look like they were completely in shambles. I've seen you do these things before. I know that you're that kind of God. I've seen the promise that you've made us. You have promised us more than anything through Jesus before he ascended back into heaven after his resurrection that you would be with us always even to the end of the age. You would not leave us. That's what you've promised. And now here's the situation. And he moves from this prayer, even coming to the place where he says at the end of it, we don't know what to do. It's okay for us to say that as a church sometimes, as a leadership sometimes. It's okay for you to say that in your family prayers sometimes. I don't know what to do. I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know. I don't know what to do about this. I'm at a loss. But my eyes are on the Lord. And I will put my trust in Him. And the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, Mataniah, a Levite, a descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Now, this prophecy uh, seems to be the, a, a bit of a contradictory prophecy when you first glance at it. Because he says, the battle is not yours, but God's. March down against them. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out to face them. It's the glory and the danger. Yes, there's a vision for what can happen. You don't know exactly how it's going to take place. You don't know how it's going to unfold. The battle is the Lord's. He is going to fight for you. He is going to do his work, but there's still a part for you to play. You are acting and following and moving into this as if it depended on you, but it doesn't. You're going out. You're going to take up your battle formations. You're going to take up your positions. You're going to go meet the army just like you would do. An army coming after you. And the Lord, he says, the Lord will be with you. He's got it. Now you go. Don't sit back and don't whine and don't keep crying. You take up your positions and you go out to face the enemy. Lauren Daigle, a contemporary uh, 
Christian singer and worship leader. And her song, Rescue, imagines what it would be like facing a battle in your life, whatever that battle is that you've brought with you today, this vast army that's facing you, a situation with a vast army bearing down you. She imagines what it would be like to have God himself sing a song over you. What might it be like for God to sing a song over you today as you face your vast army? Let's listen to the song. You are not hidden. There's never been a moment you were forgotten. You are not hopeless. Though you have been broken, your innocence stolen. I hear you whisper underneath your breath. I hear your SOS, your SOS. I will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true. There is no distance that cannot be covered over and over. You're not defenseless. I'll be your shelter, I'll be your armor. I hear whisper underneath your. Thank you. 
So Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. So, right now, I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to sing about the love of the Lord that endures forever. So did you notice, did you notice that when Jehoshaphat stands before the people, when he hears the the rescue prophecy, he bows down with his face to the ground. All the people of Judah and Jerusalem, the husbands, the wives, the children, and the little ones, fell down in worship before the Lord. That was not convenient. And here they are, sprawling out before him. And finally, some of the leaders in the temple, some of the worship leaders from this tribe of the Levites, stood up and praised the Lord. Imagine the praise team standing up, singing over the congregation in that moment as they have bowed down before the Lord, fallen before him in prayer. And Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing about the praise of God and the splendor of his holiness. And he puts them in front of the army. So that the first thing that's happening as they go out to battle is not the generals, not the spies, not the explorers. Not those who are on the reconnaissance saying, this is where they are, here are their positions. It's the praise team. It's the praise team going out in front of the army. Praise team, generals. Praise is going before the victory. Before they've seen one ounce of the muscle of God at work, against the vast army that they're facing, they are worshiping the Lord for the splendor of His holiness. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord, not the people, not the army, not the choir, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. 
the Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Total chaos and confusion among the enemy. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. That was a thorough victory. Three days to collect the plunder. On the fourth day, after they finally got it all together, they assembled in the valley of Barakah which means blessing or praise. The valley of the battle has now become valley of praise. And they praise the Lord, and that's why, because of their praise to the Lord, that's why it's called the valley of Barakah. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and, pro- and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. Now what? Let's think about some soul training practice, okay? Let's, let's draw from what we've seen in this story and let's live it today. First of all, let's do this. First thing, trust that God is indeed your rescuer. That He is your rescuer. You are not hidden, hopeless, forgotten. Send out your SOS. He's the kind of God who will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. He's the God who will never stop marching to reach you in the middle of the hardest fight. That's the kind of God He is. Declare to Him the kind of God He is. Call Him your rescuer before you even see the rescue. Trust in the rescue for tomorrow because He has rescued you time and time again in the past. Speak to him about what he's done before for you, for your family, for your church, for this world, for his people. Tell him what he's done before. That's the kind of thing that you do because that's the kind of God you are. The gospel reminds us that in Christ, God rescues us in the most powerful way possible from the worst possible enemies of sin and death. You have been delivered from the enemies that you need to be most afraid of if you're not in Christ. The ones that can capture and kill you forever. And God has dealt with that. And through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, He has made it possible for defeat over that enemy, that vast army that faces you. So if He has taken care of the worst possible enemies of sin and death, what will He not take care of in our lives? The gospel reminds us that God came to rescue us Even when we could not send out an SOS, we were so stuck, 
so consumed, so absorbed with our problems, we couldn't even get an SOS out, and he had come anyway. While we were powerless, remember Romans 5? Anybody? While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God overcame the grave. Didn't just resuscitate, he resurrected. And so with God, nothing is impossible. The vast army you are facing today is no match for your God. God is the rescuer. Number two, let God decide what the rescue looks like. Let God decide what the rescue looks like. Jehoshaphat did not call the shots with God on what the rescue looked like. He didn't get to determine what that was going to be. God is the one who knows how and when to rescue. He knows what the rescue needs to look like. And some of you have this image of a rescue in your mind, and it's not the image that God has for you in his mind. Whose idea of rescue is better, yours or God's? It is not our place to, discern, to determine for God what his rescue of us should look like. It is God's place. And so when we declare to God that we're going to trust him for rescue, we're going to trust him for the kind of rescue that he has in mind for us. We're going to trust him for the timing of, re- of that rescue. And so what that might mean for us today is that you don't outline for God what that rescue looks like. Instead, what you do is you declare to God the kind of God he is and the kinds of things he does. And you declare it, and you pray it, and you praise him for it. You worship it. You worship this God before you even see the rescue happen. And moms and dads, Parents, when you, when you have children, no matter what their ages are, from the little ones to your teenagers to your adult children, we, we spend so much time trying to protect our kids from the harshness of this world. Doggone it. Bring them into the hardship and bring them before the Lord. Carry your little ones and get your other ones with you and let them experience the rescue of God. How else will they know what the rescue of God looks like and how will they have faith that God will rescue them in the future if you do not bring them in somehow in, their, in your own parental discerning way to explain to them what's going on, to trust the Lord. We are way more protective of our kids in ways of fear, oftentimes, than we are in ways of faith. And this is the God who has called us to faith and who calls us as parents to invite our children into learning what it means to trust the Lord. Bring your children to the worship and to the praise of their God as well. And finally, trusting that God is indeed your rescuer and trusting that he will decide what the rescue looks like, demonstrate through action what you believe about God. 
demonstrate it. Remember, he says, the battle is not yours. Take up your positions. I will fight this battle for you. March down against them. Don't be discouraged or afraid. Now go out and meet them. Demonstrate through your action that you believe God. God is most assuredly the one who will deliver you. It's his battle. You will not have to fight. Do not be afraid. But God wants them and he wants us to act in faith and to prepare as if we will be the ones doing the fighting. Faith in God does not mean we do nothing, which is oftentimes how we can feel. I'm just not supposed to do anything. Okay, well, maybe he specifically calls you to do nothing sometimes, but he is calling them to believe and to take the next step of faith. He doesn't ask them to take step two or to take step ten. He says, you take the next step, you march down, you take up your positions, you go out. Faith in God still calls for actions. So it might mean something like this. You show up for work at a job you hate, at a, in a place you're looking for a, a promotion, you're looking for a way out, you're looking for, a, for more money to support your family, and it's a tough situation, but you show up for work. Have the difficult conversation with your son or your daughter or your husband or your wife. Tell your spouse you love them even when you're not feeling it that you don't want to leave them, that you want to work with God and with him or her to make it right. Say you're sorry. It's a simple way to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to have the conversation. I'm going to say I'm sorry. I'm going to say I love you in the midst of a very difficult moment. Invite your coworker to join you for worship with your church family. Confess to a trusted friend the sin that keeps tripping you up. Acknowledge your bitterness. Make the tough choice about the family dynamics or your health. Mention Jesus to the other mom or dad at your kid's practice, that mom or dad who's looking for hope. And you feel a prompting. Act on it in faith. You see rescue for you, but you also see rescue for them. Act on it. Welcome some friends into the dilemma that you face today, however terrifying. And praise and praise, pray to the Lord, stand together, fall before Him, whatever it takes, fast, but invite people into the dilemma with you. Acknowledge to the Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. Worship the Lord with your whole life, all the way to your bones, even when you don't know what's next, what's around the corner. Praise the Lord when you're afraid. Those are practical ways for you to demonstrate faith when you don't know what the rescue is going to look like, when you don't know how long it will be. You praise the Lord. You praise the Lord and you wait for His deliverance. You worship Him because of who He is and what He's done and what He does, what He will do, even before you see it happen next. You praise the Lord. Let's stand together. And I want to invite our prayer teams to take their places. And during the singing of these next two songs, invite you to go to prayer teams or to even other people in our, our church family and to, to pray. Uh, maybe, maybe you go with the, the children who you even have with you still in here today, and you go and you pray. And you worship the Lord. Maybe what you need to do right now is just sing at the top of your lungs and praise the Lord in these songs as you wait for his rescue.
If you need him to rescue you today from sin, from ultimate death, let us know. Let us pray. Let us take those steps of faith with you. Whatever that need is for you, we invite you to come.